Welcome to another episode of Urban Life Enabled, Enerhub's podcast for sharing news, views and stories about connecting, activating and measuring urban life in our public places and spaces. My name is Adam Beck and I'll be with you for the next little while as we unpack another topic relevant to enabling urban life. So let's go. In this episode of the Urban Life Enabled podcast, we sit down with Julia Thompson, who is Plantech Lead at Frontier SI. Julia has qualifications in science, urban planning, and project management. She spent time in the Victorian government in various roles, consulting with WSP, and she spent over four years at the Greater London Authority as Smart City's Policy Lead and Strategic Planner. She also is a freelance consultant working on future cities, data planning, and their built environment. We hope you enjoy this episode. Julia Thompson, thanks so much for joining us on the Urban Life Enabled podcast. How are you today? Yeah, very well. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be here. Julia, I want to start by asking you just a little bit quickly about your new role. You are Plan Tech Lead at Frontier SI. What can you tell me about Plan Tech and what it is? Can we get that over and done with? Can we, can we get that? Can we, can we deal with that first? So starting off with a hard question. Um, so uh, yeah, I've just started this role with Frontier SI. I'm a month in. I'm really excited to be joining that team. For me, Plan Tech, it's really just a sort of expansion of the definition of smart cities that we used when I was working at the Greater London Authority, just how we use digital um, technology and data to improve cities, to make them nicer places to live, work, play. So applying that into the planning process at all stages of the planning process, like what way can we use digital and data to improve that for planners, for people interacting with the planning system, and then just outcomes for the built environment. Okay. You mentioned London there. You spent some time over there doing some great work, I must say, as Thank I you. observed from afar. <laughs> but, you, but you are uh, certainly two feet on the ground in Australia now. Great to have you back. Can I, can I get you to take us back to London for a little bit? I'd like to understand, you know, what you learned there, what you did there from a planning, digital and data perspective you know, a little little sort of slideshow of your travels yeah, sure. in London. Um, yeah, so I went over to London about six years ago expecting to stay for two months and <laughs> stayed for obviously a lot longer than that because I kept getting jobs that were just just such good opportunities for a girl from a very small town in country Victoria to be working in London. And uh, the first role I had was working on the strategic plan for the city, for the greater London so writing policies around how waste is managed for a city of nearly 8 million people was like such a great opportunity. And really, I learned, I learned a lot about how the UK planning system works. It's much more discretionary and interaction with federal government as well, their sort of role in the planning system in the UK. And whilst I was working on the London plan, I got very interested in, I had a very small policy around digital technology. So the policy was requiring all new builds to have, to be enabled, to be connected to gigabit capable internet. And through that 
small policy that that seemed very small in the grand scheme of the London plan, but it was quite important when you're looking at things like smart cities. Got interested in smart cities and started a role as smart cities policy lead, working very closely with the chief digital officer there, Theo Blackwell. I started my role the month of COVID. So um, great, great timing. Yes, it was really relying on digital technology to do my job. Mm. Um, and worked on some really interesting projects there, kind of implementing the smart city strategy for London. So it's very high level strategic direction for the city and worked on projects to do with the ethics of using new technology in public spaces and by local government, as well as specific data enabled projects like the High Streets Data Service, which is providing economic data to local government. So I got an opportunity to work with a great, like a huge range of different people within the Greater London Authority and also at local government level and and central government as well. Did you have a hand in the, is it the technology charter that was, was, was developed? That kind of sounds like just such a great foundational project and minimal conditions that any city or region needs to put in place. Is that, has that been exciting to look back on in terms of the impact it may be having? Yeah, definitely. That was a really great opportunity. So I um, co-authored that with the chief digital officer and it sort of came about, those two things converged with the Emerging Technology Charter. We got a report um, commissioned from Digital Catapult uh, in London, uh, which is a report on London's advanced tech stack. So it was looking at sort of 15 years out in London, what are we going to be getting? What new technologies are going to be arising? So I had things like 5G and beyond, um, robotics, AI, lots of things that were sort of a bit beyond my imagination. And we also had COVID happen and a lot of questions were being asked around the use of new technology in COVID, particularly issues around vaccine passports and those sort of things, um, data and information. We, we had looked, innovation and, t- and new technology had been a part of London's journey for a long time, particularly if you look at what Transport for London have done. And we had looked at very specific uses of technology and had a sort of position statement on them. So looking at the use of facial recognition technology by the police, we have the London Policing Ethics Panel report on that. Transport for London have done, have got guidance on the trialling and testing of connected autonomous vehicles but we didn't have like an overarching policy like approach or position on the use of new technology. It was more reactive rather than proactive. And so we were sort of looking at developing a, like a, a general position on new, the use of new technology, particularly by local government and particularly in public spaces. So we developed, we looked at other cities. Um, so we looked to San Francisco on their Emerging Technology Board and also Boston's Smart City Playbook, and that's sort of looking at engaging with the market in a more effective way. And then also um, Helsinki's My Data Project, which is how local government use people's personal data to improve services, and then also the approach of cities for digital rights and built on something like what can what can we build for London that sets out our high-arching, high-arching principles. And there was a three main audiences that came out that we were interested in helping through the charter. So the first one was buyers in local government and um, in the public sector. So what kind of questions should they be asking of innovators and new technology? What sort of thing requirements should they be setting out and things like procurement documents and what thing, what like re- legislation do they need to be aware of? The second one is for makers and innovators, like startups, developing new technology, wanting to help in some way improve their cities, but not maybe not quite knowing like, what the priorities are for local government, 
what kind of requirements they need to be doing in terms of like the public sector equality duty and the things that local government are going to be thinking about if we can prepare those innovators with the questions that they're going to get asked in the early stages of development that sort of helps everyone and then lastly and our most important audience is like Londoners and elected representatives so what can Londoners expect of new technology that's going to be deployed in their public realm and setting that in very clearly and bringing together lots of existing guidance. So we sort of, we developed this London, this emerging technology charter and there's four principles and I'm, yeah, hugely informative project that I worked on when I was in London. I would certainly encourage any of our listeners to go and track that down in their browser, put in emerging technology charter London and they'll find, uh, I think, some great information there. And indeed, in the context of our conversation so far, Julia, around plan tech, that sounds like a model or something that every city should have because I think it not only doubles as providing guidance to those key audiences, as you mentioned, but also in some way offers a platform or a pathway to engaging the community around emerging technologies. And we're certainly seeing in Australia, in some communities, some certain reaction to that in terms of uh, the the community sort of filling in the gaps Mm. when there's not a lot of communication or or, or dialogue uh, necessarily. So let's pick up what I think has been a common thread of our conversation so far, which is data. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about planning and I want to talk about place. Enerhub is very selfishly interested in this based on what we do and super keen for you to share your views, what I'd like to hear from you is, and also informed by your work in London, uh, I want to talk about data and place. And, you know, they're just words, data, place, but Mm -hmm. underneath the idea of place is, you know, some real technical, nerdy, important concepts like positioning and, you know, geospatial context I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to understand a little bit more about the types of place data and the other data that place data helps underpin and makes relevant and contextual. And I'd love to know if you played around or you have views on multi-dimensional data as well. As planners, we're very yeah. much well in my era of planning. Certainly, two D was was sort of just incredible um, and it's as far as we we normally uh, got to. But um, can you share some ideas around place and data, what you learned, views for Australia going forward and indeed this idea of plan tech, the idea of place and data being an underpinning and critical factor? Yeah, so I guess one of the first what comes to mind initially when I was working on the London plan, one of my policies was waste planning. Um, how does London uh, collect, process, manage all the huge amount of waste and recycling that the city produces? And providing information and getting data on that was incredibly difficult and quite complicated as well. It's a very, you know, big city with lots of different moving parts and people responsible for that. And that's when I had sort of been thinking about providing that sort of data in an easy to understand way to planners is really beneficial for the entire city. And then another sort of like more data 
driven project that I worked on was the High Streets Data Service. And that came about, it was a conversation that was already happening pre-COVID. And then COVID happened and all of a sudden London's high streets were completely shut. There was no activity. And initially we were interested in where are people moving to, where are people congregating in terms of risk areas for transmission. And then as things started opening up, which areas are not getting as much activity and visitation and their spend as well. And so we were collecting uh, movement data and uh, economic data and combining that to get a picture for London. And I think the thing that my friends often tease me for saying my data, 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 um, always talk, uh, talking about it a lot, but I think it's less about the data, but more about the story that you can tell. So we got some really interesting information looking at London recovering from COVID. So uh, we saw that the high streets uh, in the outer, outer areas in outer London were recovering a lot better than inner London. They're actually Their spend was actually much higher, like maybe 50, 60% higher than pre-COVID. And you can kind of know that if you just think about it, but actually having the data there to say these areas are doing incredibly well because of the work from home, increased work from home, but then that has an impact on the inner city. And I think that having that kind of like place data and understanding how people are moving through the city enables us to tell stories, explain activity. And then what we, as planners, what we need to be doing is looking at the future. So like how can we extrapolate that information and general trends to develop good policies to build good places? And I think that's, that is the, really the area I'm looking at at the moment in Plantech. Like how can I help planners do their job better? Because they are doing a great job, but they just need, maybe need a little bit more information. I wanted to just quickly take an off ramp and talk about flying taxis and dr- <laughs> and drones and the, the reason the reason i asked that question or go there is because you prompted me when you mentioned understanding where people are and what they're doing in sort of post covid recovery and it's all about again it's around position and place mm. and and where things are and i recently had a conversation here in southeast Queensland, where I'm based, there seems to be a strong level of interest and indeed a push for flying taxis to be a growth area, an industry of the future, however you want to describe it. We know we've seen things like drone delivery pilots scattered across the country. Uh, Logan City Council here in southeast Queensland, and I think Canberra as well. So we've got these things flying around in the air, and I'm, I assume positioning and data is pretty key, along with connectivity and power and things like that. Uh, planner to planner, wh- where do we go with this conversation in the plan tech world? I know this this is an off ramp. I'm mm. diverting. I'm diverting for a little bit, but I am actually quite fascinated. And have you seen any of this conversation emerging elsewhere in your travels in London or or otherwise? Yeah, I did have come across it in London as a as an idea to solve some of the the gridlock in the city. I think as a planner, I would probably want to be looking at more traditional ways to improve city movement, investing in public transport, rather than going for something that feel, I guess it feels a bit Jetson like, doesn't it? Mm. Um, and, it's, and it is difficult to imagine, but I think. Maybe I'm less interested in that because I've seen the discussion about connected autonomous driverless cars can take, mm-hmm. um, has been that's been around for like quite a while. Mm. It was very people were very excited about it three or four years ago in the, uh, when mm-hmm. when I maybe when I just started in the space, and it hasn't quite got off 
the ground I just don't see it or you see the the um the graphics of cities with connect connected autonomous vehicles and they just have endless streams of cars because they don't have to stop and they can drive really close to each other because they are all talking to each other but in those in those videos you often don't see pedestrian crossings or people on cyclists like they sort of focus on the car and the efficiency and getting people to and from as quickly as possible but I don't think cities are necessarily about that. Like you want to have some like play and some enjoyment in the work, uh, in your urban spaces and places to stop and places to dwell. So in terms of like drones and flying cars, that I don't see that as being like actually a good thing for our built space, uh, built environment. It doesn't allow for more interaction with people. It doesn't build community. Maybe it's a bit faster and I, you know, maybe in 15 years I'll be proven incredibly you're, wrong you're, be, you're being you're being such a planner at the moment in the, in that response <laughs> but you'd have you'd have to agree though julia in our conversation about data and mm-hmm. place and positioning it is quite an interesting idea of having to move our traditional planning on the ground or subterranean you know that that's a head spin as well subterranean planning and stuff and utilities but then sort of heading up into the sky, it's just next level, isn't it? But look, I, I didn't really have a coherent question there. I was, <laughs> I, I was just, I just really curious about place and position and data. Um, multi-dimensional data, you know, we we're building more digital models and we're using lidar a lot more. Are you excited about multiple dimensions in data? Are you are you seeing that? is potentially a big part of the plan tech conversation? Yeah, definitely. I think that I'm excited by the possibilities of the different ways we can collect, analyze, and like uh, combine different data sets. I think it's, it is really exciting, but I think the area that I'm interested in and the area that I think needs a lot of focus is developing those use cases. Like what are those problem areas that you can, that actually will be helpful for that? Because I've seen a lot of projects, you build a dashboard, uh, with and it collects it ingests a lot of information and it does pr- produce some really nice graphs. But if it's not applicable and people don't understand, it's not incorporated in sort of their day to day work, then it's not as useful. So I think I'm really interested in identifying those really key like pinch points or um, delays areas with huge cost in the planning process where digital technology can kind of seamlessly help address those problems so I think I want and this was sort of my when I was working in smart cities more generally I don't want it to be like a new and novel technology I just I think success is when it becomes business as usual for that kind of that that kind of like data integration stuff the like possibilities of data are exciting they also can be a bit intimidating and I think we also need to make sure we're bringing like the community along with us to understand why we're collecting information how we're using it and that was a, that was a thing that actually came up in the emerging technology charter in London as well. We had a one of the principles is around being trustworthy with people's data, and there's some you know the things that that we all sort of know about making sure that you're being clear with people, like you're collecting data responsibly, you're secu- storing it securely, um, but also allowing and communicating with people what you're doing with their data, but also provide make then there was a couple of other things that that came up in our conversations like making sure that people had a way to talk back to us about how their data was being used and also communicating the I think this is a really interesting part for me is like the capabilities that we have but we're not using so we might have cameras up 
that are collecting sort of anonymized football data and that's fine and we've got permission for that and that's like we, we are abiding by um, you know sort of like the highest security and privacy principles but you could have someone in the background just flick a switch and all of a sudden that's connected to you are sharing facial data with a police force for instance which has happened and it's not it's just that sort of that human human error I guess you would or hum, a human intervention can sometimes like the capabilities that we have that we're not using yet and making sure that we're very aware of when and why and how we do those add, add in those capabilities but now I've gone like really off topic in terms of um, mm. uh, dimensional native data but I think this that it's all sort of linked like how we collect how we analyze and, and the future of it as well is something that we always need to keep in mind well one thing that you really piqued my interest on in that response was around the so the emerging technology charter from memory uh, I, I read it some time ago but it clearly, I think, clearly states expectations around the disclosure of information about technology deployed in the public realm. And I think that's a, a really wholesome conversation that needs more airtime in Australia. What we deploy in the public realm, the information we collect and what we do with it. And I suppose let's put a wrapper around that and call it data governance. So let's mm. let's touch on that finally, if we can, data governance. I felt that in looking from the outside in over in London and the work stewarded by Theo and what you were involved in, I just felt like data governance was, was pretty solid and it kind of underpinned a, a lot of the important work that you did. Can we talk about data governance for a moment? Uh, in the context of planning here in Australia, mm. uh, you've been back for a little while. Have you got at a high level a bit of a temperature test on how we in Australia, the collective we, practitioners and policymakers in the built environment, have you got a sense of how we are going with respect to data mm. governance? some qualitative sense of maturity are you appalled are you excited uh and how is your work going to help the planning profession you know build up this uh this sort of attribute quality that we we continue to refer to as you know good data governance mm. yeah i'm really excited about Kind of what's happening in Australia and as you say I'm still relatively new back um, so getting up to speed with activity across across Australia. I think what's interesting for me is working in the UK where the central government has a role to play in in planning and then by default planning data and information about the built environment whereas in Australia it does seem like the estates are doing lots of work on their own and lots of really interesting um, work on how to collect and, and share and analyze data. I think the approach we took in London, we were lucky in terms of data governance itself. We really embraced the principles, like the benefit of being under the EU general data protection mm. regulation. And then mm. that was following Brexit, that was um, adopted as UK legislation as well. So instead of seeing that as a hindrance, it actually really helps local government, helps government operate in a way or that's, reassuring to the community because there are very very high consequences if a company breaches the G gdpr 
and also for government. And I think that is something that we were really like kind of lucky to operate on. And I, I do wonder like Australia, I think Australia is talking about doing something like that or has sort of does have sort of regulations, right? I'm not as familiar, sorry, excuse my ignorance. But um, I think we were then able to use, so in the UK, you're required to do a data protection impact assessment if you're mm-hmm. collecting private data. And currently they're sort of, they're supposed to be shared publicly, but, you know, they're lost on websites, PDFs and stuff like that. So we were wanting to centralise them so that there was one spot for London, Londoners to look at for where where personal data was being collected in the public realm, they could know, you know, that they've done the right thing. I think in terms of Australia, uh, so there's two, I guess there's two areas when I'm thinking, when I when I think about data, there's like the, the collection of private data and the very strong requirements that you should be thinking that you should be thinking about when you're collecting it. But there's also the sort of stewardship of data. So who is responsible for collecting maintaining and and I think the QA part is a really big thing for me and the maintaining of data sets as well so it's something that that London's currently thinking about reinvest investing some more money in their the London data store which is a central repository of data for for greater London and they're wanting that to be sort of like a library card of data so not a big data lake with all of the information about London but they're wanting it to if you want to know something about how like air quality where schools are like uh, where sensors are located in London you know where you you can go to the London data store and find where that is I think a question that is quite that that is emerging as quite challenging is what role does like in placing that on the London data store does that is that sort of implicit approval of data Mm. of that data by 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 the mayor of London or by a greater London authority so that kind of balance of like sharing data but then not being the sort of um, approver or um, yeah, taking responsibility for it. I think that's quite an interesting. That's going to be an interesting topic to grapple with, particularly in Australia as well. Like who has who sets the standards? Because also in the UK, we benefit from having the, yep, the BSI. Yep. Um, so things like that was really helpful. So in terms of, I don't know if I answered your question exactly, but yeah, data governance. You know, like this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, what what is an appropriate answer, right, around data governance? But no, that's good. I I did say that that was the last question, but I've actually got another last question. This will be the mm-hmm. last question. It's around collaboration. Frontier SI is by nature and by legacy, a collaborative entity. And, you know, we use that word so, so much and, you know, uh, how meaningful it is. There's a, I think there's a difference between working together and, and collaborating, you know, mm-hmm. skin skin in the game, co-funding, things like that. I I certainly admire Frontier SI's approach and work that they do, collaborative work that they do. I ask you the question, what are you excited about from a stakeholder collaboration perspective when it comes to this stuff that you're going to do, the plan tech stuff and mm-hmm. related digital and data and locational uh, sort of related innovation. Have you got some comments around collaboration? Yeah, I'm really excited. That's why I'm really excited to be working with Frontier SI on what I really enjoyed working in London was working with the with data scientists, like real, real deep in data and coding mm-hmm. um, and then planners and regeneration officers and being that kind of person in between that could understand both worlds and maybe uh, translate some of the problems 
and some of the solutions that the other that one group can offer and and making and working out so my first my first week of frontier si meeting people who are talking about satellites and mm-hmm. like get doing positioning down to sort of like centimeters um using satellites that was just like amazing to me like having that kind of capability and talking working with people who do stuff that i have a very surface level understanding of is what i'm really excited about and think and connecting those with people who are uh, developing policy implementing programs who have money to do stuff in the public realm and how mm. can we help them invest that money in the best way possible and yeah that that I love that like collaboration and stakeholder engagement stuff and it's something that like you could look at the London Office of Technology and Innovation that's what they've done so well they've brought together their a coalition of the willing they call themselves which is any any member any of the 33 local authorities in London can join and then they work on technology and innovation together because I think it can be a scary space and there's room for mistakes and some and if you make a big enough mistake then you can really get your community offside but i think if you're doing it together there's there's a bit more reassurance there's more checks and balances to make sure you are doing the right thing and you can share the cost and the lessons learned as well so i think it's always better to working in a new space to be working with a broad range of people from different backgrounds different disciplines different parts of the world Okay, you have just triggered another question I have that I have <laughs> that I have to ask. Final, final, final question. On that piece of collaboration, working together, multiple stakeholders, am I being unfair in saying that I'm still not too sure if the community is part of this conversation and transformation? Is that being harsh? Have you got some observations around how that plays out? Yeah, I I would probably a- agree with that. And it's something that we looked at um, in the, developing the Emerging Technology Charter. So we wanted to know what Londoners thought. And we were lucky to have a platform at the, great, at the GLA, which is called Talk London. And it has, I think at the time it was 60,000, but it would be more than that now. London is registered to provide like like a sounding board sounding board for anything and everything. And we were able to share the emerging technology charter with them and get their feedback. And we didn't get that many responses. And I would say that the responses it was we were trying to get an accurate representation of Londoners. It was difficult to get that. But I think when it's something it's difficult to communicate when it when it feels a bit like this might happen or we've got 5G, it's going to make things faster, when, it, when people can't really understand, like, what does it actually mean for me? So being able to tell stories more about, um, you know, we can't really predict what the next, like, what the next disruptive technology, like, what what is the next, like, Uber going to be that comes along and completely changes the taxi system, for instance. Mm-hmm. So being able to work with, communities on their particular issues and try and solve them and build from there yeah when you're sort of just telling people the internet's going to get faster you're going to be able to collect more use more data like okay mate i'd be able to watch netflix on my phone Mm. that that's going to be good but the other kind of consequences that maybe they might not see for a little while as well and maybe some of the promises of new technology that aren't realized so being very careful about managing expectations as well and also not yeah and not scaring people like making sure that people know that there are checks and balances in place. There's there's that particularly when you're dealing with the when you're working in the public sector. It is a, it's an ongoing 
challenge, I think, mm. to get people interested. Well, we're not going to solve it on this interview, but your views and insights and your learnings and what you're looking forward to and what you've shared in this uh, conversation, Julia, is is much appreciated. And I hope our listeners have enjoyed that. Uh, looking forward to seeing the impact that you have now that you're back home and for the planning profession, so great to have more voices, more advocates, more work being done around understanding how digital and data can uh, certainly play a role in that foundational profession that we we hang out with. So, Julia Thompson, thanks for your time and thanks for joining us on the Urban Life Enabled podcast. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Well, we hope you like this episode of Urban Life Enabled. Remember, if you'd like to subscribe, head to your favourite podcast platform. You'll find us there. Just search for Urban Life Enabled. You can also head along to our website to listen to all of our episodes and also find out more information about Life Enabled. Just head to the website lifeenabled.com. There's a hyphen between life and enabled. Thanks for joining us.